Peter Lorimer, wow. I have to say, it's probably one of my favorite podcast interviews. And I'll tell you why. Um, number one is I thoroughly enjoyed him and his story, but more particularly the fact that he is such an authentic, genuine guy, meaning there's very little pretense about him. Now, is he the wealthiest guy in the world? No, but he is wealthy. Is he the happiest guy in the world? Well, he might argue that he is. But the conversation really took sort of a philosophical point. In other words, we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves chatting about things that matter. Now, the second half of the podcast is just unbelievable. Now, I wouldn't suggest you, you know, skip to it, but rather wait until you get to it because it won't make much sense until we go through the first half of the podcast. All this to say that it is remarkably good. And if we pay attention, we'll catch a lot of gold nuggets that we can actually take effect on. In other words, we can do some of the things we talked about to get similar, if not better results. I don't want to give it too much away, which is why I'm kind of being somewhat cryptic, but I hope you enjoy, have fun. It was a great podcast and uh, especially the second half. Enjoy. Thanks. Bye for now. Listen, man, I, that's the one thing I'll tell you when I was on CNBC decades ago, like literally like in 2008 on the Donnie Deutsch show from rags to rich story. This is right before about to lose it all. Like I'm like, I'm, I am this, you know, arrogant Midas touch walk on water at that moment in time. I do the interview and shortly within a year, I've got nothing, right? Well, every, every call I got from the show was send me money, motherfucker. Like, give me money. I was like, what, who are these people? Like, what is wrong with them? Like, what's wrong? So anyway, no, but we'll, we'll edit the money out and we'll start it. So let me ask you something. It's really interesting. You said you have a lot to say about why people are and aren't successful. Now, I've, you know, along the process, I've coached a lot of guys. So I've coached these guys and they pay me 10,000 a month to coach them and usually business or personal stuff. It always goes back to personal. And it always comes in from my perspective. And you could, you, I need one you to tell me about this. What they think makes them uniquely successful, nine times out of 10 is never it. And they have this wrong association between their input and their output. And, and I try to help them go, no, that's not it. In fact, that's costing you. This is what you're going to do. And then we sort of try to fix out that part. So tell me, what's your belief about that? So for me, it's, it's very interesting, you know, coming from the glorious city of LA, which is, and I work in Hollywood Hills, Beverly Hills, and, right. you know, these drippingly uh, uh, ostentatious areas. But it's interesting. I think what makes a wealthy man or a wealthy woman is, and I, it may sound cheeseball, and I really don't mean it to sound cheeseball, is mind, body, and soul, right? It, it isn't just what's in the bank account, because I represent and have represented some of the most unhappy people in the world who have 10s, 20s, 30, 40, uh, maybe a billion dollars. And they are twistedly sad folks with multiple marriages that have failed, children that won't speak to them. And to me, that's not wealthy. No, that's it's not. broke. It's yes. broke. I would rather drive a bus and come home <laughs> and kiss my wife at night, give my and sit down and watch a goofy TV show, TV show with my kids than have bazillions in the bank because, Amen. you know, I, I, I guess, I guess we're deep in into diving into the spiritual stuff right off the bat here. Bring it. Mars. It's all that matters. Bring it. So <laughs> the guys that know me know there was a kind of a, 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 a linchpin in, in my life. I'm an ex music business guy, which was fantastic sex, drugs, and rock and roll for a decade and a half. Um, and a little lots of success. 
um, house music, ooch, 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 remixed everyone and their mother, 30 number ones <laughs> in the Billboard club charts, uh, 25 number ones in the UK, was one of the, probably the top 20 guys in the world, and was just being overindulgent. So I, I had to pivot, and, I, and I, I got sober, I've been sober for nearly 19 years. Congrats. And um, I met pretty early on. There's a there's a there's a key component to everything in my life. I met pretty early on in my sobriety, just two years into it. I met the woman I married, who I'm still married to, and I adore. I adore every more. I adore more every day. We got three beautiful children, and she is a Vietnamese refugee Buddhist. Oh, interesting. Who came here when she was five? So she's a California gal, of course. She was raised Buddhist and she's a, you know, she's not banging, chanting yeah, yeah. and. But well, just said, so you know, my mom is that Buddhist. My mom is the Buddhist that bangs and chants Namjohar and Gekyo. So it, and they're a little wacky. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, nothing wrong with it. But well. I think she, she said it, Cindy <laughs> said it perfectly. She said, uh, you know, Buddhism isn't for people that go to the temple and bang right. glass bowls. Right. She said, every breath I breathe in is a Buddhist. Every breath I breathe out is a Buddhist. And I'm like, ah. And she shows it in her action. Uh, 12, 7, and 9. Okay, so they're still babies. Okay, got it. So please keep going. Still still babies. Um, And so I found the the pivotal moment for for me where I discovered what I think made me, and I get get uncomfortable saying what made me successful because I have no ego. I really, my my belief structure is knowledge is borrowed, never owned. It's our duty to pass it on. Um, but I think the, the key for me was coming out of an industry that was super creative where everybody was their true self or a lot of them were their true selves, very colorful characters, walking into, into the real estate investing in industry and then becoming a real estate broker. It was like walking into the morgue. I was in a spiritual bankrupt place and it wasn't this collaborative kind of like you know crazy music world it was dog eat dog slit your throat step on heads glenn gary glenn ross and i'm like oh wow this is uh really an environment i'm not used to i i believe i don't have an ego i went in there kept my head down i never told a soul that i was even in the music business just kept my nose to the grindstone i did what they told me you know they said you should really wear a suit i'd never worn a suit in my life they said you should wear a suit, you should wear a tie, and you know shoes, and you got to look the part. Well, I look like I look like I looked. I felt as stupid as Ronald McDonald because <laughs> I'd never worn that gear. Right, it's not your thing. And then, not my thing. And they said you need to kind of when you're talking to someone, watch their body language and kind of mimic them. I'm like, what? So yes. I did this shit for like I don't know, six months, maybe nine months, and I hated it. I remember coming out of my missus and saying, this shit sucks, man. I just <laughs> hate this shit. I said, I want to do it my way. I want to crash and burn under my own steam. So if I fail, if I flounder or fly, I do it under Pete. And then if it sucks, we can go move to Vietnam and open a freaking surf shop in China Beach. And uh, she said, go do your thing. So next day, rolled in the office, shorts, Metallica t-shirt on, um, started being me and not giving a shit if I failed. I was never arrogant, but I was just like, I am unashamedly who I am. 
I am being true to my authentic self. I ran after my tribe, as Seth Godin says. I only went after the music business because those were the only cats that I really understood. And I said, I'm a music business real estate guy. I just cater to creatives. That's all I do. My career went boom and took off. And I was the number one guy in the entire company of uh, throughout the whole of LA County uh, within five years. Okay. So a couple of questions. One is you said no ego before. So define what that means for you. Number two is obviously authenticism is what sells today, but it, but authentic alone won't get you somewhere else. Right? So besides being authentic, what's the other ingredient that got you there? But talk about no ego. Cause I, I have, I have a story for it. I want you to see if you agree, but tell me what your definition of no ego is. So I use this phrase with my guys, right? Cause I'm a broker. I own my own company, PLG estates here now, uh, 200 agents more or less. And the, I, I talk about the three doors, right? There is, selfish, self-serving, and selfless. Selfish, self-serving, and selfless, okay? Right, selfish is easy to spot. Selfish is easy to spot. Dude, you need to buy this house, you know, you, know, you need to buy it. That's all there is to it. You just need to buy the house, dude. You know, because all they're thinking of is commission. Correct, correct. Commission right? breath. Commission breath. The second one is a little bit more cunning, because hmm. it's self-serving. You're giving advice that sounds like it's good for the client. You know, I really like this area. It's up and coming. I think it's going to be great. Don't worry about the hillside. I think the hillside's going to be fine. If it was going to slide down, it would have slid down by now. Right. <laughs> right. And, and the, the root, the genesis of, of, of this thought process is still commission-based whilst hoping for the best. The third one, selfless, is where you put yourself dead last and you put the client dead first. And it doesn't have to be business. It can be in a supermarket. It can be in a gas line at the, uh, uh, at the, uh, the gas pump. It can be in freaking Starbucks when you're waiting 20 minutes for a latte, right? We can easily get into where's mine. This is, don't they know where I need to be? So if we remain entirely divorced from expectations, we are removed from ego. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, Napoleon Hill in his book, Think and Grinch and throughout his work said that going the extra mile, which is I think what you've somewhat mentioned was the number one characteristic of success and happiness. And in his last book, how to be, how to grow rich with peace of mind, he talked about a lot of rich people who didn't have peace of mind. And of course, studies have shown that being, as you said, selfless, is the key to happiness and longevity and all kinds of components. Not easy to do, by the way, especially in Los Angeles and in California. Not easy to do. But hold that for a second, because I want you to finish the, the, the second part is, besides being the authentic self, what other ingredients are there to account for your success? It's interesting you say going the extra mile, right? Because this is a real tricky one. Now, I don't want to sound like Mr. Program Guy, but AA has got an awful lot to do with my success. Yep. An awful lot to do with it because the principles are really nothing to do with drinking, right? It's very kind of Buddhist and it's, you know, it was, the, the, the drinking was the solution. It was never the problem. The problem was this. Yep. So the secret to, the, to success is going, Napoleon Hill talks about going the extra mile, but, and I can't remember the book and I've read the book, but I can't remember the, the motivation behind it. Do we go the extra mile because that means we're going to win the client or 
do we go the extra mile because that is the right thing to do the road so, narrows okay so 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 great great point and i'll i'll reply in that other than getting into napoleon hill's mind i believe that he intended it because he saw it and, and as i do i and a lot of writers that it's a holistic thing you cannot separate one from the other right there is no because if you look at Emerson's law of compensation, for example, Emerson says, look, do great stuff. You know, go out there and just give and give and give, and it will come back to you, not from the same source you gave to necessarily, but the universe works out that way. It just is. Now, you can either go against the tide of law of nature, or you can go with it. So it is self-serving and selfless tied together, but only if you go selfless first. I mean, when you talk about, uh, you know, doing what's best for the client. You know, Wallace Waddles in his book, uh, The Science of Success. Science of Getting Rich. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Science you're Getting Rich. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he says, look, act a certain way. Yeah, it's a great book, right? Act a certain way. You know, what you want is already on its way, but you got to act with where you are now. And, right. right and, and all, even the Bible says, right, he who wishes to be great, let him be the servant of many. If we look at all of the... Wallace says one more thing, though, which is yes. crucial. Which is? Always give more than you expect to receive. Yes, but that, yes, and that's because it's good for us. See, this is, I'll give an example. And, and we'll go back to your, your uh, answer. But so the samurai were undefeated until the Tommy gun, right? Da, 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 the machine gun that just wiped them out, right? Now, this, this is my definition of no ego because I, I believe what you believe, which is that I try, and I'm really, not really good at it, to subjugate my ego as much as I can, right? But under this definition, the samurai would go out to battle, but they would die before battle. How do you beat a dead man? Sure. You, can't, you can't beat a dead man, right? So right. here's what they would actually literally do. This is what they did, Pete. They would, you know, remember, they descended the, the land of the feudal lords, right? So they would go, we got to go defend the lands. We got to go fight. They would then get their family, bury their possessions, some of their possessions, give the rest of the possessions away and say goodbye to their, their families and their families would then mourn them and they would be persona non grata and stand there, but they, they would not acknowledge them because they're dead because they may not come back, right? The wives would cry, the kids would cry. They'd say, and he now is a dead man. So when a dead man goes to fight, he has no fear. And fear is the enemy of being selfless, right? Fear is the enemy of the, of, fear is the ego. Correct. When, okay. Well, when, fear and ego are the same thing. They, they, pretty much, yeah. So who was uh, Ken, what's his name? The guy from Enron. Remember, he died a emotional death and then a physical death. He had a heart attack. He couldn't bear the death to the ego, and therefore he died. The physical death is easy. The death of the ego is much harder. So when they go to battle, now because they have no fear, they can wield their sword and behave with courage and no fear. And this is what it takes to be a great CEO, a great real estate agent, a great father, great whatever the case may be, right? You know, if you're afraid that you're going to upset your child by being honest with them, or if they're afraid they're going to upset you by being honest with you, that's ego in the way. So I think ego is fear and it's, it's focused on the, the lack of understanding how the world works. So to answer your question, I think you can't separate the what's better for the client is also better for me. And now I may not want to think of myself. You can. Well, no, true. You can but, separate it. You can separate it. Um, okay. You can separate Prove it, it to me. Well, because you divorce yourself from doing anything else but what is absolutely right. Now, that, what's best that might you? be better for the client. That might be better for the client. It may not. Right? Sometimes 
I have, I have given people advice they haven't wanted to hear. All the time. You know, and so is it better? And I've upheaved, I, I, it's given their lives upheaval. And it's but hold on, but you, but, but you said that you got to separate what's best for you and what's best for the client. In other words, that what's best for the client isn't no, always best for you. No, no, no. Okay. No. There is ultimate, and, I, and the phrase I use is this. I like this. There's a phrase I use, which is the road narrows, right? Meaning there is only ever one way to do anything. And that is the highest and best. Well, that would be Whether the art of motorcycle the, maintenance, right? That would be the argument that made in the book, the art of motorcycle maintenance, which I agree with you, but you're not always right on that path. Well, it depends what you define as right, but now we're getting philosophical. Well, isn't everything about philosophy anyway? I suppose so. Right, because it is how we think. So two things. One is, let's define what's best, right? And I look, you know, having made and lost money and, you know, and, and I mean, close to losing the wife and kids too, right? I mean, when the dust settled, I had the house, the wife, the kids, in the car, barely, right? Kind of dead, you know, was, I mean, it was not, not, not fun, right? And, you know, and I understand Bill W. really well. I think his steps are fantastic. And so you have this, this idea that, that we're attached, our identity is attached to wealth or money or procedural recognition. More so today than when you and I were growing up, right? Way more Agreed. so today. Because Agreed. social media and all this stuff. And I, and, and I'm throwing the gauntlet down to say, look, you can have it all, whatever that means for you, but not at the expense of your character and your integrity. Because if you gain the money, but it costs you your soul, you are poorer than the guy who's the bum on the street. Agreed. Right? So when you, when you push with integrity and you push with character, you're not always going to make the best. You might think it's the right choice, but it's tough to tell. Sometimes situations are murky and you know, you get like Ray Dallas says, you got to triangulate. You know, you might think, Hey, look, I was diagnosed with what they call LADA in April 13th. I almost died as a diabetic ketoacidosis. And they said, Hey Marks, welcome to 50 years of age. You're now a fucking type one diabetic. And I was like, uh, what? Like, like, what is that? I read the books, met people. And then, and I went through four doctors and they all said, you're, you're in insulin for the rest of your life. Well, guess what? I'm now 45 days insulin free. My blood sugar levels are perfect. I feel amazing. Now, I only eat fat, meat, and organs, and I look great. I mean, I don't have any weight, any, any fat on me, whatever have you. But they thought they were telling me what the right thing was, right? My doctor said, you got to take a statin because your cholesterol is high. I researched it. He's wrong. But he believes he's right. His path, your definition, is narrow. You must do this to live. But I don't accept that. Unless, no, here is the thing. Let's go back to the summarize. So... My feeling is one must have the purest motivation. And if that motivation is wrong, it's wrong. Custer sure. didn't want all his men to get killed, but sure. they did. Sure. You know, these captains uh, in, in the First World War, when they blew the whistle and the men went over the top, he didn't want the men to die. But their motivation was pure. It was crystal clear. And if we get that wrong, an unintentional mistake that I don't feel that that's any, it doesn't reflect on the character of the person. So you're, so when you're saying, so your definition of doing the right thing is make sure your intentions are pure. Pure, crystal clear. But unfold. you may not be giving the best advice. As long as you believe you are, you're in the clear. But, but, and I agree with you. I mean, I agree with you. And this, I think, you know, intention results aren't always tied together. So I think what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is 
if you have integrity and character, if you're congruent, then you may be wrong. You know, somebody told us that we should eat carbs and veggies and, and not saturated fat. Well, they were dead wrong. It caused right. a lot of harm to a lot of people, right? Their intentions might have been good, but they were still wrong, right? So, you know, I can forgive you for a mistake, an error in judgment. I can't forgive you for a mistaken in intention. Correct. Okay. All Correct. Right, so- it's like smoking. Doctors in the, in the 30s and 40s said smoking was fine. Yeah, and they I, believed it. Their intention was pure. Uh, it was agree. bad advice. 100%. So then, so you're not asking your, your agents and your staff to do what's right. You're asking them to do what they think is right. Correct. Okay. What is well, spiritually right. But it doesn't make it right. It makes well, that their intention is whole. Correct. But that's where coaching comes in. Yeah, so no, I coach course. them to ensure that they do the right thing. But yeah, it's always divorcing oneself from any decision and alt being of ultimate service. But isn't that, isn't, isn't your selflessness as you defined it and having the proper intention, what's best for your agent anyway? Correct. But so nobody then, teaches that shit. No, but, it, but, it, but, it, but it, it is true in the sense that what selfless is, is also the most self-interested piece. In other words, you cannot separate selfless from self-interest. But, but they are separated. It's like, uh, it's a bonus prize. It's not the motivation. If there is a collateral bonus no, it, prize it, it, it is the motivation. The right thing, then so be it. As but long it as is. that's not any motivation at all. No, but it is the motivation. Well, the, you and I disagree then, because the motivation well, that, should, should be me, striving to do the highest and best. Right. And if but, you get money from it, great. But, but I'm not talking about money. I'm divorcing this from money. So right. let, me, let me define it and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. So if, if I do the best, and we're going to define the best as the most intrinsically positive intention available, right? right? So if I do the best, I always feel better about myself. See, you keep tying it back to you. I have utterly cut that cord. Well, but I'm tying it back to me because I want, I want to poke the bear. I don't need, I don't need any, uh, and trust me, this took a lot of work. <laughs> this took a lot of work. I don't need any recognition. No, forget, this is not, this has nothing to do with recognition. And I, and I don't need, I don't need anything other than, I'm almost like a monk where I just silently do the right thing and if it helps me, great. I, I no, mean, but, 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 I'm not. But hold on. But, 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 but this, is where, this is where I think you're going to either tell me to go, you know, you know, jump off a cliff and I'm wrong, or you're going to say, well, I understand your point. We are, in, as human beings, intrinsically, right? Intrinsically, we feel good or bad about things. We just do. It. It's just the way the human nature sure. works, right? There's a trigger, there's a meaning, and there's emotion, there's a behavior. And when, forget about money, forget about getting commission or not. Let me give an example. If a client comes to me and says, Hey, Marks, X, Y, and Z, and I do the right thing, and I don't get the money, I still feel better about myself anyway. Correct. Okay. Correct. So doing the selfless act is in my self-interest because if I, I'm not, self, not selfless and I get the money, I now, even though I've got the money, feel like shit. Well, that's not the best thing for me. So now it's, it, it's the motivation because I think that's the way human beings, we are built to be, to your definition, selfless. And by being that way, we benefit more. Now, it doesn't mean we get the, the money because, you know, I, and having been broke and made, money to me is an end result of doing things the right way. Correct. Could I be richer? Yes. Would I be wealthier? No. I could be richer, but not wealthier. 
And I think that we as a society, and this is, is good, we have to understand that it isn't about the money. It's about your own personal development. And then you will attract whatever it is that you want the proper Correct. way, the right way. So, thousand right. Okay. So when you teach your agents, I think the challenge that they're having is that they, not all, I'm sure, but some are probably having a difficulty understanding that what's best for the client is best for them, even if they don't get the money. Which I, I hammer that point home. So when I'm in office meetings, I will, you know, we'll, we'll, we're all doing them all on Zoom right now, but right. I, I will say to the guys, if someone says to you, I want to, we're, we're in LA and Oxnard is probably, I don't know, 50 miles away from here. Sure. If somebody says to you, hey, I'm looking for a, 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 um, a place to rent and I want to look in Oxnard, my advice is if you have the time, you get them in the car and you show them whatever they need to see. Or if somebody wants to call you up and say, you know what, I'm thinking about adding, I'm thinking about painting my house. What are the best house paints to use to, to improve the curb appeal or to, to make people offer more on my property? And then ultimately they, they end up using someone else. You're still, the, I think the trick is to give without expectation, right? Which sounds very kind of biblical. But it's like, if you, and I, I have never heard of Emerson's law of whatever it is. Compensation. Compensation. I don't know that one. But it seems that that's what I buy into. You, and I'm very, very connected. God, I don't want to sound like this guy, but I am. I came into, 20 years ago, I was godless, hopeless, and freaking penniless. And now, and now I do have this connection to something that I call Mother Universe. And that's partly because I've been married to a Buddhist for 16 years. And every single day I get up and I, it's my job. I don't wait for divine inspiration. I get up and I work my ass off. I work it off to the best of my ability. It's almost like I get up every morning and I get in the boat and I row. I just okay, row. hold on. Is that, is that really true? Do you work your ass off or is that some, some bullshit thing you have to say because you're a celebrity or you're a podcast or whatever the case may be? So I work seven days a week and uh, my fa I make sure that I have dinner with my family every day. Right. And um, I don't work seven full days a week. But for example, I finished work last night about nine o'clock. Uh, my wife and I were up working this morning at five o'clock and we outwork pretty much everybody else in our company. And that's not some Gary V thing. This is, it's just the way that we, we, we have always been. And yeah, we work our asses. I don't know who the Gary off. V is. Oh, wow. You're one of the few in the world. Oh, thank God. The, um, I'm just kidding. I know who he is. I'm just fucking with you. The, um, so wait, so hold on a second. So define work for me. Well, work. Is it work if you love doing it? And I don't want to sound like this cheesy guy. I mean, I, it, trust me, I wouldn't keep getting up at this time and launching into my day if I didn't enjoy it. I love, you know, and it's funny. I was an agent at first, right? Right. Um, which was fine and I was really good at it, but I'm a natural, my thing, my, my father was a teacher and I, I'm like a natural builder. I like to build things, sure. companies, bands, people. record labels, right? That's kind of my thing. I like being, you like building people. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. hundred percent. So when I was, when I was a record producer, I would be sent a song from a record label. They'd be like, here's the artist Pete. Here's the song. Well, how do you think we should do it? And it was my job to draw out the best performance of that singer, right? Yep. Maybe they'd say, we need to do it in a kind of, you know, poppy dance way. I'd be like, maybe let's try it a little bit, slow down the tempo and blah, blah, blah. And then I would draw out that, that performance from that uh, singer. 
I never thought for a second I would be using the same muscles in business. It was a surprise to me. And I found myself kind of coaching, for want of a better word, producing people. And, and, I, and I still do to this day. And, and it's the part of my gig that I actually enjoy the most. I like people coming in. Of course. Who are, sometimes they're raw. Sometimes it's a lump of clay. Sometimes they've been in the business for a long time and they've earned a, a lot of bad habits. And I am unshakable in, in my direction. And I say to them, mine isn't the only way. This is just the way that I believe it. And I watch the guys, they change. And then it, they begin to attract business. It isn't Glengarry Glen Ross. It isn't Coffee is for Closers. You know, it isn't that at all. It is always strive. You know, it's the be of service thing, which is the mantra of AA. That's where I got this, right? In order to stay sober, which is the most important thing in my life, because without sobriety, I don't have my wife. I don't have my kids. I don't have anything. Yep. The only way to stay sober is, we call it a chain. I am sponsored by someone who was in the program before me. And I sponsor other guys. So I'm in the yeah. middle. It's a network marketing company. It's a what? Network market. It's MLM. You know, Bill W is MLM. I mean, he is, he took that model, which is a wonderful model because it's, you know, like Zig Ziglar said, right? If you help enough other people get what they want, you get everything in life you want. So for you now, we're talking about authenticity and we're talking about, you still have defined work. You said you love it. Is it work? But you still are ambitious. Incredibly. Okay. All right. So incredibly. In you're fact, authentic and you're ambitious. Oh, yeah, I don't wait for divine inspiration. Of course. I, I run at a thousand miles an hour, but I have no fear of going splat against the wall. And I have no fear of what other people think of me. Zero. None. And I think a lot of that is I've never, I've never had self-esteem. I still don't. I suffer from imposter syndrome. Every morning I wake up and I'm going to get the tap. You know, we really know that you're not really a proper broker. We really know that this is kind of like a tin pot outfit. When I would did that, when I did the, the the show on Netflix, I remember I didn't unpack my suitcase until the second city and the end of the second city, which was week two, because I thought I was going to get the tap. You know, kid, nice try, but you're just not the real deal. And I've suffered from that, or maybe it's been a, an ally. I've suffered from really paper thin self-esteem and that has driven me to the point. And I don't know if I've ever shared this before. When I was in the UK, before I left the UK in 1993 to come here, I was eligible for probably about 20 gold records. And it's a big thing in the UK. You get presented with these things and you know, the snap, snap, snap. And my sick twisted mind said to me, do not go and collect anything. Because the moment you acknowledge success, it will be the first day of the beginning of the demise of the rest of your life. Just keep striving quietly. And it wasn't because I'm this, you know, modest guy. It was because I was being governed by a sick mind that was that had fear running through it. So do you have do you still feel like you have things to prove? Proof suggests ego. I got nothing to prove. I've got a lot of goals to hit and they are goals that are not related to, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Sure. Of course. But so, so what, then what drives you? If it's not to prove it can't be guilt, right? You don't, you don't feel, you feel guilt. guilty. Okay. It's not guilt. So then what drives you? Limited days on the earth. I want to squeeze carpe diem. I but want if to that's squeeze true, then why work so much? 
Because there are, okay, you're, you're raising an interesting point. I work, but my, I don't work addictively, right? I don't work destructively. So I'm very lucky. I have for, built a company where I can actually, I was working from home the majority of the time way before yeah. COVID. Me too, yeah. Right, and I worked at home in the record business, right? I started in the studios with, with two inch 24 track, but then as things became digital, I had a beautiful studio in my home. I like being in a room on my own. Um, and so I managed to sculpt everything around what is really important to me, which is family. And so I can be there for my kids in the morning. Obviously when they're at school, I don't see them and they're not at school right now. Right. But, uh, and then I sculpt my day so that I am at the house 4.30 every day. I see them come through the door. I spend time with them. I talk about their days. We have, you know, one of the things we decided to do as a family, because my wife is my partner, is she is a beast. She can data process and crank through what 10 people can do in a day. Sure. We hired people to help us with the house, with the errands. We have a full-time house assistant. You know, which sounds very la-di-da, but it's actually really smart. It's great. I because um, it allows us to then sit, meet the kids when they come back from school. They're great. They, they don't particularly want to hang out with us that long. They want to say, hey, my day was this, and then go on their iPhones. Right. Then I right. go back to work, work for another hour or so. Then dinner's ready. I sit down and have a beautiful meal with my kids. We talk about the day. Then they go off to their iPhones. Maybe I'll bang out a few more emails, then I'll watch a show, and then I go to sleep, and then I do okay. it all over again. So, because so, you know, one of the things that I'll tell you from the people that I've met, um, they all think they work hard, but working hard isn't the answer. Because you know, if, if it was, there's a lot of people who'd be wealthier and happier because they all work harder than you and I do, right? So, it went through, you know, David Allen from Getting Things Done, I love him, he's a good friend, defines work as things that aren't working. So if it's not working, if it's not an autopilot, then it's work until it gets to work and then it's not work anymore. It just sort of, it just sort of is, you know, if your car's working, you don't go, I'm going to go work my car. You simply drive your car. Right. So, right. Whereas Richard Kosh, another good friend of 80, principal said that he defines work as production of making money, right? You know, whatever you do to make money, that's work. I think in today's world, everything is work, right? Being with the kids is work. Uh, you know, watching TV with the wife is work. It's all work. I think we have to somehow either divorce ourselves from this notion of hard work and, and sort of marry ourselves to this, this notion of producing results and hopefully with little effort, because, you know, one of the things that I noticed from my personal experience was I worked like a machine in the early years, right? In the office early, last one to leave, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I made money. Then I lost it. The second time around, I said, I'm not going to work like a crazy person. In fact, I'm going to make my life, the objective is to work as least as I possibly can. I don't want to work. I want to produce more money, but not work. And what do you think happened? I guess it worked. But why did it work? Well, I think you and I are kind of in the same boat because I'm not a grinder. Right. I don't grind it out. I turn down probably as much work as I accept. So then when you say you work harder than your staff, which I'm pretty sure is true. I mean, I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure it's true. What do you really specifically mean? It's a time put in? I mean, what is it? How, do we, how are we measuring that? Well, I mean, work hard. I mean, I guess, do I work? And the word work is just such a tricky word for me. 
do I, I process in a day more than my wife and I combined processing it in a day, certainly more than anybody else in, in our firm, but that doesn't make us great. Hold on. But, hold on. Wait, hold on a second. Because I, I think I, th- I want to ask you a question before you continue. So do you think that your ability to make better decisions and more of them throughout the day is how you're defining work? Correct. High okay. value tasks, one after the next. Okay. Well, I don't know about tasks because some, some tasks can be valid or not, but I, you know, I think one of the things I've discovered is that people who are like yourself, very successful and happy. I mean, not just monetarily, but you know, but sort of the, the quan as Jeremy McGuire would as the, the character in Jeremy McGuire would say, they tend to make decisions more often than those that aren't. And they make them better. They make better decisions. And in some cases, more of them, or if it's not quantity, it's that here are the choices that really matter today. Here are the decisions I'm going to make and the rest I'm done. And that doesn't include exclusively money-making tasks. Right. Right. So your desire to raise your kids, I'm assuming, led you to hire the house, whatever, attendant, the person you have. I mean, I had a chef for a while when I was having the kids, so I understand. And so that you can make a better choice, i.e. more time with kids. Correct. Right. So, okay. So if that's true, you've got authenticity which you're very authentic, obviously. You're highly ambitious, and I still wonder what drives that ambition. You said goals, and but I think there's something else underneath there. And then now you have your ability to make better decisions, which I think comes from your earlier notion of being selfless. Because when, one of my mentors, who I've met, I've met, he's the only guy I've ever met who had complete control of his brain, unlike anybody else. And the guy, life is black and white. There's no gray for him. There just isn't. He has a code of conduct. And and best I can, I can relate this to is you. I don't drink it. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. It's not my thing, right? But you'll never take a drink in your life. God will, right? So for you, it's not. Should I drink? It's like no. It's just it's not going to happen, right? It's correct. That allows you to make choices like this. There is no vacillation between yay or nay or what, right? Nothing. You know, uh, are you going to be loyal to your wife for the rest of your life? Yes, of course, right? I mean, these are choices. These are codes of conduct. So I think. What I, I think I'm getting from you is that you have such clarity in your life as to who you are. Making fast and easy decisions is easier because you know where they fall. Yes or no. In other Correct. words, right? Hey, boss, Correct. should we do this? We'll make a million more if we do this. You're like, no, it's a clear choice. This is the choice, right? There's no, Correct. Mm, should I do the million dollars? Okay. So then perhaps your ability to process the work goes back to your original understanding or idea of selflessness because then you could just it's easy it's volume because the choices Correct. are easier for you thousand percent binary is a great word there's binary only one way to do it you know there's only one way there's no there is no there is no gray right right there, I mean, there you're is a lawyer if you're if you're somebody's in a murder trial there's only one way right the best you can possibly do now if he if he gets off he gets off if he doesn't he doesn't so then how do you agree how do you, as Peter, ambitious, authentic, selfless, who will think about defining work, how do you get yourself to the next level? How does that happen for you? Whatever that is. So this, I, I very much buy into to, uh, to this book. I very much buy into it's the a great book. Yeah. It's a great book. Great book. And I don't really know where it comes from. 
But I remember being kind of like, when I was a kid, my, my old man said to me, when I was talking about being a musician, right? I was 14. Uh, when I, I mean, it goes, this kind of low self-esteem that fuels ambition goes, I guess I'm seeking approval. Maybe I'm seeking approval, maybe. Um, but it never arrives, right? That's the sick thing. The approval right. never arrives. Right. And then you give up on it. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it goes way back. My, 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 my brother played trumpet. My father played sax. I went to a shitty school in England. And all they had was this crappy old trombone. And my motivation was, I, I had my older brother and I wanted to, to play in the band with him. But I just obsessed and addictively got hold of this instrument and was flew past my brother, was uh, the top classical trombonist for my age wow. in the UK, was given a free scholarship to the Royal College of Music, uh, toured with orchestras really young. Most of the musicians were like 19 and 20 and I was like, 13 and 14. Wow. And then I said to my dad, you know, I want to, I want to go, I want to be, be, be a professional musician. I want to produce records. I want to, you know, do make music my life. And my father said to me, you know, it's incredibly saturated. Why would you do that? Just get a safe job and play in bands at, at night like me. Mm. And the, I think I have this burning notion of if I don't give it my all, I will regret it for the rest of my life. So I decided to just, I dropped out of high school, got on a Greyhound bus in the UK at 15, not knowing a soul in London, managed to uh, find a room off of a friend of a friend that I could just rent for a minute. I worked in a clothes store with my vision of, I'm gonna be making hit records, I'm gonna do hit records. And the universe began to move those wheels. And then I was in the right place at the right time, which was predetermined, I'm sure. Yep. And joined a band that had a number one hit, and then my, my music career was launched. And, and then the, it's the same thing with when I, I got into real estate. It wasn't this, there was no bravado. Sure. It was in 2004, I started, the, I literally, I left the music business, I retired. I, I have this thing of getting out when I'm on the top. And I had, my 30th, my 33rd number one in the, in the US, in the Billboard Club charts. I had number one in 12 countries that I'd written and I was singing on it. It was a dance, chat, a dance track. And I'm like, I'm out. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm out. And my mates were like, what the hell? Well, you, you don't get out now. Right. What are you doing? But I kind of knew that the MP3 thing was coming. So I'm like, I need to jump because this is going to get real ugly. And it was new sobriety for me. And, I, and my sobriety was, was really important. Correct. And so then I just literally had, I was back to being that 11 year old boy with the trombone and I walked into my, my first broker's office and it sounds cocky, it wasn't cocky. I looked her in the eye and I said, you're looking at your new number one agent. And she said, oh, am I now? And I said, yeah. I said, I, I'm here to, to work. And within a year I was the number one agent in that office. And it wasn't this, I'm the man. It was the, I cannot let, Fear catch up with me. If I keep running fast enough, fear just, I keep fear at bay. And I keep the voices. I have a lot of voices that say, loser, fraud, fake. Nobody likes you. Just, you're a failure. All of these voices. So I keep running. I keep running. And, and, and so there are, I have a lot of 
big things in the pipeline. I mean, I wish I actually could disclose it right now, but I can't, but I've got some big things in the pipeline um, that are really, really exciting and big risks, big risks. And, you know, I was buying a house in the middle of COVID, the house that I'm in right now. It was a client, a client of mine. They have a beautiful mid-century house that was on a promontory in, in, in uh, uh, Studio City Hills, which is linked to the Hollywood Hills. And they just dropped it on me. They said, you love this. Why don't you buy it? I'm like, shit, okay. Scrambled to get the cash because I wasn't looking to buy. Sure. And then COVID hit. This is a first world problem, obviously, but COVID hit. Uh, they were buying their dream house contingent upon me buying their house. The deal was about to fund March 15th bank said, sorry, we're withdrawing all the loans. So I'm watching the numbers of COVID doing this. And it looks like the world's ending. Like in 2009, I remember that very well. Yeah. And I look at my missus and I'm like, we're all in. I said, let's just go all in all the marbles. <laughs> So I had to call friends and I borrowed hard money to close this deal in a market that looked like it was about to collapse because I just felt in my gut that this was the right move. And it turned out to be the right move. And we're refining out right now. The oh yeah, well, but the market's going up. Yeah, of course. So, okay. Is that intuitive connection to the universe, mother nature, mother universe, or is that experience in your gut saying, no, no, the market's going to turn around and this can't be it? It was experience in the market because my feeling was I, I've watched LA kind of fill up with more people. Of course, of course. And this is in, this is in the middle of a, of a really nice part of LA. And so I'm like, the whole country would have to really go to shit before this area gets affected. And I just don't see that happening again. Plus, this is not a financial crisis. Right. This is a medical Correct. crisis. Correct. So, you know, and it was, again, no fear. If I lost, a, you know, lost money, I would have, lost money. I'm not afraid to lose money. Do you ever go to eat at CC's Cafe? Which one? CC's Cafe. Where's that? Tarzana, but it's on Intro Boulevard. Dude, no. dude. I mean, I, I never I go west eat. of the 405. I know. I understand. Actually, I, I can't eat that <laughs> stuff anymore. But if you go to CC's Cafe for brunch or breakfast, it'll blow your rocks off. If you like pancakes and eggs and that kind of stuff. Enjoy. Okay. So you have authenticity. You, I, I look, I, it sounds to me, and it looks like you do get motivated by seeking approval, right? And whether it's somebody else or inner self or that inner voice that was your dad's, whatever, you said it so. It used to be that. It used to be that. It's not that anymore. I don't I've, know. Quiet, I've, I've quietened that monster. Okay, so if that doesn't drive you, then what does? What drives me is I, I just don't want to live life in one lane, right? I want to experience as many things as I can. I want to roll the dice. I want to see the peaks and valleys. And why not sell everything and travel the world? Maybe I will. I don't want okay. to do that right now because my kids are in school. My wife and I were actually talking about getting a place in Europe, funny enough, last week. But, let, me know where, let me know where you go because I'll go with you. Yeah, we're, not more, maybe, we're not moving. We're not moving. We'd like to buy a place there as well. Because look, you know, when, when I lost it all and came back, the epiphany I had was I'm a freedom junkie. And, and I mean, that in a real positive Me way, too. right? Okay. Me too. I am as well. Okay. And, and that means that, number one, I'm most likely unemployable. And number two, that means that I'm more focused on producing results than separating the input versus the output. And so I think, I think we have this vocabulary that you're using that 
really is less about being a workaholic or working these god love for hours and rather materializing what's in your brain so it's physically equivalent right as wallace waddles by the way wrote wallace waddles wrote the science of getting rich the science of success and the science of health and he died at a young age he died because he he was did some stupid choices but so is i want to go back to this whole thing about working because what I, i don't want the audience to think that putting in all the hours that God sent is the key to success because it's not, it isn't right. Being, right. Being authentic is, um, you know, being driven and ambitious definitely is right. And ambition is whatever you define it, right. Doesn't whether it's 1 million, a hundred, it makes no difference to me. You don't care. Nobody cares. It's your life, but there is an ingredient. I'm trying to hope you stumble into it that I think you haven't yet consciously put out that I think it's what makes you, Successful and, and, and Pete, successful in not just money, but as a husband, as a father, as a friend, all these things. And I'm hoping you stumble upon it, but there's got to be something else. If you could only work, I say work, make those decisions for three hours a day, what would you do for those three hours? Well, it's funny. We could actually work three hours a day right now. So what would you do? Shit, I don't have how many, how many hours to myself? A lot. And what would you do with those hours? So it's, I'll tell you one thing that we do do, right? I'm not dodging the question, but here's one thing that my wife and I do. There are two flagpoles in the year that drive the entire year for us. And those flagpoles are nothing to do with money. They're nothing to do with work. They're nothing to do with anything but family. Amen. We have two vacations a year that we get really, really excited about. And we go all out, we travel the world, and those are our, that is the gasoline in the engine. Because those vacations that we have with our children, because my daughter's 12, gonna be 13 next, so she soon ain't gonna be wanting to hang out with dad. So we, we, we go away to, for these two gorgeous uh, vacations twice a year, and then everything else fits around that. And then those are the driving points for the entire year. Um, when How long are those vacations? Run- How long are those vacations, Pete? Two weeks. Okay. So, I mean, because the kids are in school, so we of can't course. go forever. Um, but, you know, last year we went to, to Italy and had a, a gorgeous trip. This year we were actually going to go back to Italy, but we can't because of COVID. So I'm doing something I've never done. We hired a 40-foot RV, and I'm driving it up to Sequoia, Yellowstone, Carmel and Paso Robles and then back. You'll love it. I can't wait. Yeah. We actually leave next week. Um, and, and so those are really, the, though if, if, if you're looking for points of ambition, those are a couple of them. When it comes to, and, and I, w- I will tell you, I will say this, this much. When I was a new, when I, when I started my company, when I, when I opened the doors as a, a trading, way different to me being a real estate agent at somebody else's company. When I own, owned the company, and an agent would join and then an agent would leave. That was really personal to me. Yep. And I felt it. And my ego was impacted. And it was bad news. And it hurt. And now I am at the point where I trust in the process. I trust in the process of this right. so much that whatever is meant to be, is it exactly how it's meant to be? And I'll, I'll share one more story with you. I wear this on my, uh, my, my, I got married in, in Saigon. We oh, went back cool. to, 
Saigon because a lot of Cindy's family are still there. Uh, we had a traditional Buddhist ceremony and I'm not Buddhist, but I wanted to be respectful to her sure. family. Um, and uh, um, outside the temple, my mother-in-law, who is fabulous, she's like the Asian Bette Midler. <laughs> she, uh, um, she, uh, there was this beautiful carving on the wall in Vietnamese, which I, I, I didn't understand. And I said to her, what does it mean? And she said to me, he says, it's a Buddhist philosophy. It says, what will be yours? What's meant to be yours will always be yours, no matter how, now, no matter how hard you try. What is not meant to be yours will never be yours, no matter how hard you try. Present, being in the moment, right? And she put this around my neck right before I got married. And she said, you can never take this off. Otherwise, it will be bad for you and your family. So I've worn it since that day. But that Buddhist philosophy, which I didn't understand at the time, has really rubbed off on me. And, and I, I, when I'm, at, when I'm uh, doing meetings at the company, they've often heard me say this, that my philosophy on life is every day on the conveyor, I have a conveyor belt of life. And every morning, this pink box comes down with a big, pretty blue bow on it. And today would be whatever the date is today. And I open it and sometimes it's puppies and rainbows and, you know, a cake and like some balloons. And other days I open it, it's dog shit and a hand grenade, you know, and, and an ax man. But what I realize is that I am not in control of what is going to come down that conveyor belt. I'm only in control of my actions and how I handle it. And I remove myself from the, from expectations. And when I said that, the guys are like, remove yourself from expectations. So how are you ambitious? And I'm like, the two are separate. Expectations are linked to ego, whereas ambition is not. I mean, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. Whereas expectations are, when am I going to get mine? Or how does this turn out for me? It's pointing this direction. Whereas all the decisions I strive to make, I try imperfectly to make them go that direction. So I love what you said. and I, I couldn't agree more. Would you define ambition as becoming the kind of person who attracts the thing to them versus becoming the kind of person that chases the thing to capture it? Yes, I would. I would. I would. Because chasing, chasing something suggests a fear of losing it. Right. If fear is any component in, in any kind of business venture, it's toxic. If fear is ever the, the, the navigation on the compass, it's toxic. It must always be, in my case, it must always be faith. Or as Richard Branson says, screw it, let's do it. It must right. be that mentality of, it's going to shake out how it's going to go shake out. Let's, let's have a crack. Because the people who I know who are highly ambitious, like yourself, they want something to occur, but they don't tie it to trying to make that thing occur. They try to, what can I do that will make that happen? which is a very right. different way of looking at it, right? It's right. what can I do to make this client buy the proper house versus make the client buy the proper house. What can I do? Which puts right. a focus on you, not on the expectations on the outside piece. But you still haven't told me what would you do if you could only work three hours a day and how do you define work? Well, you said work is everything, right? You said well, it's family. That's one definition. Yeah, of course. So if I was only to work three hours a day, I suppose I would just... Uh, and the rest of the time, if I'm not considering work, hanging out with the wife and kids, yeah. if I was to, to, to do something for three hours a day, I suppose I would do what I'm doing now, but I would just 
hone it down to, to less clients. Less clients or would you become more efficient? I'm incredibly efficient. Could you be more efficient or are you as efficient as you could possibly be? I think one can always be more efficient, right? We can always, striving for efficiency is, is something that's, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessive about. But my wife and I are not superhumans. Of course. But that's why we can process as much as we process because we have a very, very efficient system and okay. it's not micromanaged. So what, so if we were to 80, 20, your tasks, right? Or your work, and we're going to, we're going to separate work as to money-making versus the other stuff, right? We're not going to use Alan's uh, definition. We're going to use definition as making money. If you were to look at all the things you do, what few things make you most of the money and can you multiply those things and hence minimize in the time you do them, but yet increase your income? I could, but it wouldn't make me happier. Okay. So how could you do that and make you happier? By very varying my day. I love a very varied day. If I was to do more of the same, it makes me unhappy and I don't care the result. I don't right. care if it generates more money. No, I agree. No, nobody wants that. I mean, that's misery for money is not good. We, we talked about that earlier. But the challenge I'm trying to ask you is, could you be conventional, hedonistic in a way that, that seeks positive results and eccentric, meaning not like everybody else, and become not only happier, but also make more money. Can't you, Pete, have your cake and eat it too? In other words, I don't want you to see this trade-off between one or the other, but does it, can't we say, well, one helps it? Let me give you an example. And I love all your stories. Um, when I started going back into the business world, because it was really, I, I, you've been down and out, and I, hopefully you'll never lose it and go back up again. Hopefully you'll keep growing life. But it's very demoralizing. And it's, it is a Jerry Maguire moment, if you haven't experienced that before. Mm -hmm. Actually, you have. And I thought, I don't just want to make money. I want to be happier. Because I was miserable. But I, I, I blew it up because I was miserable. I remember being in the car. It was, you know, custom-made Mercedes, blah, blah, blah. Going, where's my ticket paid parade? I, I made it, but where's the recognition? Where is the, the love? And, the, you know, I'm the, and there wasn't there. Anyway, so I thought, how do I get happier? How do I make my wife happier? We went to Italy. And... We were broke. I mean, piss broke, right? And I, the last dollar I spent to take her to Italy, and we had at the time we, we were kind of you know in and out, like about to like, is she going to give me another curve or what? And we went to to Venice, had no money, went to this restaurant. We didn't drink, but we ordered a bottle of wine, and I and, and this amazing meal on on those little restaurants in Venice, not in the front with the water, like in the pool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I we drank the bottle of wine with the meal, and I said, "Baby, what do you want from life? What are your goals?" I been, we've been together since we're eighteen years old. By this time, we're thirty eight. I never asked her what she wanted, and so she spent an hour. And my wife doesn't talk a lot. I talk a lot. We she, we spent an hour just listening to her, and she just I mean, it all came out, right? And I sat there and I ate my most amazing meal, and I listened. And I spent the rest since that moment on until now making her dreams come true, which are also my dreams, right? Travel the world, X, Y, and Z. Then when we came back, I thought, okay, how do I create more wealth? Because I like money because it makes me do things, right? It's not because of money. It's, you know, we took a vacation two years ago, two months. Cost me a quarter million dollars, right? Spent a month in Europe. And then we spent a month in the US. All five of us, best time of my life, right? So I, that, that drives me to his vacations. I came back, I thought, how do I do this? Because I didn't just want to make money work God, the hours that God sent me. I wanted to work very little and make a lot more. And I achieved that, and I'm still working on that. So I'm asking you for the same thing is, what can you do to say, okay, 
if I have to make more money and I got to be happier, what does that look like? And that what that did for me, and I'll answer, let you answer the question was, it took me out of the conventional thinking into a creative space that I had to go, shit, how do I do that? Like, I don't have a freaking clue. Like how do, like how, that's, that's like an impossible dream. But it was that chasing of that that got me to that position. So if you had to do it, you know, if you had to do increase on both, how would you do it? Well, that's a tricky one. My honest answer is I don't know how much happier I could be, right? I'm pretty damn happy. I'm a pretty happy guy. I'm super content with my life. I'm super happy with my life. When it comes to money, I made a policy many years ago. I never watch how much I make. I don't sure. look. Sure. Because I did. And it's, I, it wasn't me. Understood. I don't like looking at the needle. My wife handles all that shit. Understood. So, I mean, it's kind of almost a redundant question. If you could make a lot more money and be happier working three hours a day, everybody's going to say yes. But how would I do it? I don't really know. And, and if it isn't a simple route to do it, maybe it is. Maybe I don't know what the secret is. I am more than happy as a clam right here. I'm isn't centered. That, isn't that dangerous? Why? Because for a guy like you who is ambitious, authentic, is, was at some point running away from ego and wants to grow a company, isn't the question worth answering and attempting otherwise we put ourselves in a complacent place which ultimately may reduce happiness that's a lot of maybes yeah but it's a life of a bunch of maybes anyway yeah of course it is but it's yeah. like you know so sure how does one reduce their workload to three hours a day and make twice oh, and, as much money? four hours twice. I, I i don't know that the hours are necessarily the key i think what it's the challenge right so let me give you an example um, i'm sure your wife is super duper happy right I love my wife with all my heart, right? I, the only people I love more are my kids than my wife. It just sort of, we both agree that's the case, right? But I'm always asking myself, how can I make her happier? She's super happy, right? As am I. Right. As so, am I. So I'm, and, and to me, it's the simple things, right? But I'm also asking myself, how do I produce more? Because I like the mental challenge of thinking it through and then seeing if I can make it happen. And a lot of times I can't, you know, I, I feel miserably. But the question is a question for me personally worth asking because it brings me happiness and a challenge and joy. So, you know, um, I guess I, the thing that threw me was the three hours a day, right? I know, whatever. Who cares about that? Because, you know? because for me, I have lots of other projects on the boil, like, and some of them will succeed and some of them will fail. Oh, a couple course. of TV shows, yeah. some music stuff, yeah. you know, it's like, I'm always striving for, for new things. Um, and I'm never resting on my laurels. I'm not just kind of like phoning it in because I'm yeah, in a yeah. comfortable place. I'm, in, I'm an incredibly amb ambitious guy. But I guess maybe I can't really wrap my head around the question. Okay. So let me, let me ask it in this respect. Are there things that you can do today to bring more happiness to those you love? that you haven't done or that you could do more of? I am sure. I mean, every person on the planet is going to say yes. Okay. Do I feel that I bring more happiness to my kids than most? I would think that would be a resounding yes. Okay. 
So, can I can I up the ante on everything? I'm sure I can, but you know, where's the quid pro quo? What what where, where does it come from? I can make my kids ecstatic and and, and elated uh, each hour of their lives, but where does that does that then draw from something else that then ultimately means it's eroding the family? Well, I don't I don't think it's a zero sum gain. I think you grow the pie. So I kiss my my I have a great story. My twenty year old name is Jax. He's, he wants to get involved in real estate. And I've been kissing my kids on the lips, all three of them, since they were born. And I dropped off one of my sons in California, in Oaks Christian School. We used to live in, you have a house in West Hills. We used to go to Oaks Christian School. One of the reasons why we left, by the way, because uh, I didn't want that environment on there. And I dropped him off at a birthday party with all these celebrities, you know, people that you hang out with, whatever. And he's, I don't know, eight. And I give him a kiss on the lips. Bye, Daddy. I love you. I give him a hug and I leave. I thought nothing of it, right? And now I'm going to kiss my kids on the lips because I want it and I love them and I think it's good. He then comes home and he says, Dad, I got to tell you a story. I said, what happened, baby? He says, I, thought, I was really embarrassed. You're going to kiss me on the lips in front of my friends. Like, what's going on? And then when I went to my friends, they said, dude, you're so lucky. Your dad kisses you. Goodbye. And until 20 years old, I give him a kiss on the lips in front of his girlfriend, in front of his friends. And he just, he absolutely kisses me, loves me, hugs me. Now, that doesn't make him perfect, right? But it's, it, that little moment had such huge returns, right? Little effort, huge returns. So I'm not asking for more effort. It's the opposite. It's like my wife, you know, we did a, uh, an exp uh, exercise years ago about what makes her feel loved. And it's a way that I, that I hug her. Every day I hug her as many times as I can just to elicit that feeling of love. Little things that make a big difference. So... I know, look, it's a great question. It may not be your ethos, but I think what I'm, what I'm trying to elicit is, and by the way, I think your other secret superpowers, I think you understand creativity and, and you haven't mentioned that. And I think that's why you love the science of, of getting rich by Wallace Waddles, even though it's got rich in it. Because, you know, before Napoleon Hill was Wallace Waddles, but Emerson was before Wallace Waddles, he talks about this thinking, right? of creating this, this thought and then it materializes. And I think you're fascinated by, you know, can I turn my thoughts into reality? Oh, you can a thousand percent. Right. And I think that's what drives you is it, can you, Pete, take what's in here and make it this physical manifestation? That's why music, that's why TV shows, that's why real estate, and that's why you have to do it your way because when they told you to do it that way, they were basically saying, you can't be creative. You got to do this. Right. You got to paint by numbers. And you're like, I, I, I'm not built that way. I understand my space universe. So I guess what I'm asking is, can you create more and yet do it with less effort? Well, that would be the birth of the company because um, the company was formed because I couldn't stand doing it anyone else's way. And I needed to create a creative environment. Our offices feel like you're walking in a record label. It is not at all corporate. It feels like Soho House. And, and this is 10 years ago before, you know, right. other companies kind of popped up. Uh, and I wanted to, again, I, I'm, I'm, the creativity is actually the thread that weaves through everything in my life. Uh, I, I am nothing if, if not a creative. And that's why most of my clientele are creatives because I'm on that wavelength. And so when one is, when one is creative in business and, and as an artist, not me, but great artists, I think the greatest artists, not all, 
but the greatest artists don't really give a fuck what anybody thinks. Jackson Pollock, when he was throwing paint on canvas, right. wasn't, wasn't doing it for anybody's opinion. Right. He was doing it because he felt this inert desire to express himself in that way because no one else had done that. And it's a, now it's, be, it's a masterpiece. And so I feel in business, most businesses are either bean counters and if they're bean counters, they're doing, I think bean counting is a lot to do with fear. Whereas I very much subscribe to the Richard Branson school of thought. He's a hero to me. I've read, you know, the, the Virgin Way to, and yeah, several of his books. Yeah. He's my dude. He is who I follow. He's my guy. Cause he, yes, of course, an incredible, a credit, incredibly successful businessman, but spiritually, spiritual compass in the right place. You know, the way he treats his people, I absolutely subscribe to never stepping on heads. And, uh, uh, and, and I, th for me, a great idea can, I can only ever get 65% of the way. The 35% of it is always the leap. And the leaping is what I enjoy the most because anyone can get to 65%. Anybody can get to the edge of the cliff, but very few of us are willing to leap without any roadmap. Just on that guttural feeling of, you know, I think it's going to work because we don't fear if it fails. I don't fear it failing. And I certainly don't fear what anybody thinks of me. If I fail, I could give a shit. And so I think that's where, you know, creativity in marketing and in business and, and the way you treat your clients and, you know, is, is creativity interwoven with authenticity? I think it is. I mean, who knows? I don't know. I, I don't really know why I think the way I do. I just listen to my, one thing I have learned hardcore. I never listen to this. I only listen to this. When I listen to this, it's wrong. It's always wrong. Always will be wrong. When I listen to this, even if there isn't a roadmap, it's always right. It's never led me astray. Eventually. Not it, may not be right. it may not be right the first time, but eventually it's right. Yeah. Right. It's right pretty much. It's right pretty much every time. I mean, not, it might not necessarily be instantaneous. Correct. But, correct. But if I follow the navigation of spirit rather than the navigation of head, I always end up in the right spot. Most, most everybody always talks about intuition is that they follow the intuition. I mean, it doesn't matter who you listen to and what they do intuition. So then you, so you, you obviously you're super authentic. You're obviously very ambitious but you're also a very creative guy. And I think that's probably, and you know, and you would say spiritual, not to get gunky de gunky. And I think for you, spiritual is, is just having this code of conduct that's moral that allows you to do the right thing, or at least to have the intention of doing the right thing, which makes your decision-making ability pretty easy. I just wonder, you know, and creativity, by the way, is the greatest form of expression, whether you're in business or not. I mean, you know, Steve sure. Jobs. I mean, we can name all of these amazing guys, right? They're not just of course. Think of their creativity. So then, if you had to rank and leave the audience with one thing that you believe works the best for you of all the things we've talked about, the listing things, and they have to leave with one action item, going, if I focus more on this or if I understand this, I'll be happier and more successful. What would it be? Okay, I might leave a couple of three. <laughs> All right, and go for it. So in business, in business, and if you're in the real estate business, but if you're in any business, um, I very much subscribe to the tribe mentality, right? People want to work with people they relate to. No like and trust, right? Experience counts, but yep. if they trust you and they like you, experience kind of ranks third or fourth. Yep. So that's number one. Number two is leave the footsteps, don't follow. 
question everything. If you're in a situation where you are at a company, maybe you're an employee, and there's, there, are, there are guidelines that, that you just don't subscribe, or they're not jiving, and don't just, don't just go along with it, question it. Speak to the people that are in charge and maybe change them or ask to change them. And, and, and this might be the most important thing of all. Never be afraid to leave. If you're in a spot or a business or you started a company, and the company's floundering and failing. There's a moment, right, where all companies fail and then they recover. But if you are in a business decision and it's failing, the only thing that will stop you from moving on and doing something maybe fantastic with the rest of your life is ego. Don't be afraid to fail. Failure is, I've got to sound like a, like a bumper sticker, failure is a friend. Failure, in many ways, is a far better compass than success. Why? Because when one fails, number one, you get to cross it off the list, right? So you're never wondering, one day I really want to start my own real estate company, right? If you start it and you fail it, you've done it. You move on. No regrets. And then when one fails, it ultimately nudges you. If you fail enough, you, chances are you're going to succeed. That's something. At something, yeah. right? So you just got to keep failing. Failing does not mean you have failed as a person. It just means you haven't opened the right door. My wife was a, used to be a, was an actress for a hot second. And she's, she, her uh, acting coach used to say to her that being successful at acting is like everybody is clamming or, clamoring around the gates of a walled city made of big blocks of stone. And he said, the majority, 99.9% .9 of them are all trying to get in the gate and the shouting through the gate and the this and the that. And he said, then there is the 0.1% that will go around that walled city and that will push every brick, every hunk of stone, and it might take them years. And then ultimately, they push one that opens the secret door to the inside. And I absolutely subscribe to that. Failing is just part of the gig, right? I didn't, wasn't a good, I failed at trombone in the beginning. I failed at record production in the beginning. I failed at selling real estate in the beginning, but I didn't quit. But knowing when to quit and switch horses is also a skill. So are you differentiating between quitting the way you're doing it or quitting the thing entirely? The theory, quitting the theory. Okay, so you can still right. stay in the, in the field, just stop doing what's not working. Correct. Like what you did, you Correct. quit doing it the wrong way and to do it your way. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and then also listening to that inner voice because there was nobody in no, my- that's four. My new that's four, Pete. That's four. You're giving us four. Well, this is linked. <laughs> the, 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 the inner voice, listening to that inner voice because when I was like, I want to do this shit my own way in a creative right. way, in a music business way, there was not one soul in LA, the glorious city of LA that was saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Everybody said it was a bad idea, but I knew in my gut, I had to give it a shot. And if it failed, I didn't care. And if it flourished, great. But I knew I had to do it. So trust that inner voice. Well, this has been absolute joy, man. Did you have fun? Yes. I hope you didn't get the difficult questions you always get. I hope it was something exciting and fun. No, 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 no. The, the one, the three hour thing is, 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 is going to be, uh, on my mind for a minute, you know, cause my, 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 my answer would have been shit. I'm, I'm kind of really happy and I don't need to make any more money.
Do I want to make money, more money? Maybe. The challenge with that is just so you know, I mean, I sometimes don't work at all and I produce more money. And Richard Koch is a good friend of mine. We talked about thousands of times. I, I keep saying he's a good friend because I love him. Um, I should do love him a lot. He challenged me to work five hours, then four, then three, then two, then one a day, meaning things that make money. And I was like, you're out of your fucking mind. Like that is literally, I've known Richard for 15 years. That is impossible, dude. You can do it, Richard, because you're worth half a billion dollars and you just look at fucking investment papers and go, okay, I'll invest in this. I can't, right? I got to move pieces and you know, it's, it's impossible. He said, well, you get there or not isn't the issue. The issue is the mental exercise that it takes because you're going to be so much more creative to figure stuff out and you'll have a lot more fun. And I, I hate to say I like the challenge. I kind of like that. The, the challenge is beginning to click now. He was, he was right. It was a lot more fun. And, and I have, you know, Pete, I've done things to get my companies and business right that have just fucking been disastrous trying to figure this out, right? 80% don't work. But the things that do work have such a huge impact that I've been addicted to it ever since. Now, you know, you know what I, we didn't talk about this, but what I love is traveling with my family. That is, we took this trip, you know, it was London. We stayed at the best place and we shopped at Harrods and then we went to Italy and France. I mean, and we did the most, and I loved it. If I could spend the rest of my life traveling with the family, that's what I would do. Now they have a life, right? They don't want to be with mom and dad, right? Cause they, you know, they're, right? but, but it, it, it gave me a, I didn't miss my work, you know, my money-making stuff. I didn't miss my dog. I didn't miss my houses. I didn't miss my cars. I didn't miss my friends. I missed nothing. Didn't give a shit. And that was like a big, this was back in, in uh, 2018. That was a big, holy shit. Like, this is really what life was about for me. And then that brought in home even more so. Okay, how do I then achieve more? Because I know me personally, I won't be happy if I'm not growing. It costs anyone you want, right? Who cares, right? And money is just one of the things that's easy to count. Um, so anyway, so the, the question was because I'd love for you to come back a few months from now and revisit and go, did you change anything? Yeah, we can do that for sure. You know, because I'm you know, interested. You know who did the one hour a day thing? Who? Churchill. Oh, I, I'm a, I've, I've read a book on Churchill. I don't know about that. Because he was that? an alcoholic. He was yeah, an alcoholic. he was. <laughs> and so he knew he could do three things a day. And that was it. During the war, because he would drink in the morning, he would drink at lunchtime, and he would be drunk in the afternoon. So he knew he could do three tasks a day, and he just made sure that they were damn important. And that was during the war. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So, so, so I should become an alcoholic and just focus on three things in a day? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What, what else can I do to add value to your life? What can I do to make your day any better? You know what you could do? Why don't you send me a bunch of books? Uh, not the sure. books. Just send me the links to the books that you really love because you've mentioned a few today and I'd love to kind of dive into those. Well, I'm a, I'm a big of a dumbass. And so I've read over 3000 books to kind of get a little smarter. I really am the joke. I mean, I was, I was voted less likely to succeed in my, in my high school. I'm dyslexic. So I speed read to be able to get the letters to look right. Any subject besides, I mean, you've read the 80, 20 principle, right? You've read this no. book. Oh, oh no. okay. You've read, I've read Napoleon Rich. Hill. I've read William Wattles. Uh, I've read Branson. Okay. I even read a, you know, a couple of others in there, but there was some in there. Just why don't you shoot me your top 10? Because I'm sure there'll be like five or six in there that I... Yeah. I have. All right, my friend, yeah. I'll, I'll let you go do your thing. Thank you for the time. I really appreciate you. Pleasure. Peace yeah, out, you too. Friend. Thank Bye, you. Bye, mate. Cheers. Cheers.